every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Theo Hildyard, VP of Demand Generation at Brightcove, a streaming tech company with a video-first content marketing mindset. Theo is a results-driven analytical marketing leader with over 15 years of experience in B2B enterprise software. He's routinely responsible to C-level for GTM messaging and shaping. He is a motivational and pragmatic leader with a proven track record of improving cross-functional collaboration and has extensive knowledge of digital marketing tactics and account-based marketing. In this episode, Theo shares Brightcove's holistic go-to-market strategy, how and why to create a Netflix-style experience, and the importance of collecting and harnessing the power of first-party data when it comes to video content. Theo also talks about how thinking and acting like a media company is the way forward for all marketers. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Theo Hildyard, VP of Demand Generation at Bright Cove, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Today, our show, and as always, is brought to you by our friends at Qualified. Go to qualified.com to learn more about the number one conversational sales marketing platform. And today, I am joined by a special guest, Theo. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Very good, and thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on the show, excited to chat demand gen, talk about Brightcove and all the cool stuff that y'all are doing. So let's get into it. What was your first job in demand gen? Yeah, so my first job in, um, in I'll go with my first job in marketing, really, because I started life as a product manager, um, product manager working for a sort of to- uh, technology platform company, and we were trying to verticalize a bunch of solutions on top. It was very much a product management role, but it bled into product marketing very, very quickly indeed. And I then spent the next sort of five years doing some fairly sort of deep industry solution product marketing roles where we were sort of shaping go-to-markets, messaging, target personas, ICPs, and so on. Then that led to a sort of a demand gen path sort of after a sort of, you know, three or four or five years. And the sort of really key thing there, I guess, is that when you start as a product manager and a product marketer, you have a really deep appreciation for what the go-to-market is and what the business is trying to achieve as opposed to what demand gen campaigns are trying to achieve. And so I think going the route of product product management and marketing into demand gen is, uh, is, is not a bad way to go, if I can be honest. Yeah, the, we, we always talk about that's one of the reasons why we started the show is sort of this like understanding that every CMO is now sort of a demand gen leader. Like at this point, like mm. we, we all are, we, we all are, you know, beholden to pipeline and a lot of people grew up in product marketing. So it's sort of that blending of the product marketer plus the exactly demand right. is like pretty much what makes a modern CMO. So yeah, exactly right. tell us a little bit about your role at Brightcove. Yeah, sure. So I'm VP of demand gen at Brightcove, which encompasses a global campaigns team. 
it encompasses uh, four regional marketing teams. We break the world up into uh, the Americas, EMEA, APAC, and Japan. And it also includes the customer marketing team, the partner marketing team, and unusually, and uh, it also includes the marketing operation and analytics team. So it, 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 it's quite a lot. It, def- it definitely does not include the comms team or the creatives or the web and other bits and pieces. But yeah, there's quite a lot in there. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? Where we go and feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest marketing secrets. Tell us a little bit more about Bright Cove, the company, and who your customers are. Yeah, sure. Brightcove is a streaming technology platform. And we say streaming, while we're often thought of as a video platform, we're actually using the word streaming more often nowadays because that's too, a video is too narrow for where we are today. We specialize in both video and audio. Our core mission is to drive the highest quality, most scalable and secure streaming technology platform for companies, brands and creators. The key point for creators is we're targeting those creators that are looking to own their own digital future as opposed to cede that to a third party. We, broadly speaking, target two addressable markets. The first is media companies. Media companies, clearly, video streaming and streaming in general is their product. We help the media companies basically deepen the engagement they get with their audience, expand their reach, and more fully monetize the content they have by offering you know, monetization options around advertising, subscription, transactions, and so on. The second big sort of bucket, if you like, in our target market is enterprises. We help enterprises build, you know, comprehensive streaming content strategies so that they can basically attract new audiences and sell more products. But it's not only the sort of external side of it, there's also the internal side of it as well. It's about using streaming and video to engage and motivate employees. Now, those kind of words kind of make sense and you might think, well, that's fine. But, you know, really and truly, why should enterprises care so much? Because they're not actually monetizing the video itself. But, I mean, video is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Now, research shows that, you know, 90%, 97%, in fact, of recent video viewers would be more receptive to sales communications from a business after consuming their video content. So it's incredibly important that enterprises get on board with video as well. And you asked us about our customers. I mean, we have an incredible global customer base, both on the media side and on the enterprise side. On the media side of things, there's News Corp, Masterclass. If you go to our website, you'll see like South by Southwest there and a bunch of others. And on the enterprise side of things, you know, you've got big, big retailers and manufacturers, for example, like Home Depot and Ford. For your buying committee, for your personas, for those types of organizations, obviously hugely different types of organizations. What does that buyer persona look like? Yeah, we're t- we, exactly. We're targeting two very, very different buying personas simultaneously. So on the media side of the house, we're talking about the actual producers of the content. And on the enterprise side of the house, really and truly, it's marketers like myself. So, you know, I mean, interestingly, I am customer zero for Brightcove because my organization is a big, big user of Brightcove and a big, big adopter of the, of the sort of video first content marketing strategy that I was talking about a second ago. So on the enterprise side of the house, it really is marketers, but there's also an internal comms element as well. So if you are communicating with large numbers of internal stakeholders, be they employees or franchisees, think of a car dealership, for example, then yeah, we've got just as big a play there as we do with the marketers. So two very distinct personas with two very, very different sets of messaging for sure. Can I say, we'll get into this in a little bit. I love the way that if you go to brightcove.com, 
it says I am dot 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 I want to dot dot dot. <laughs> and under I am, it says a CMO, a CTO at a media company, comms professional, director of marketing, director of acquisition, director of video operations, an event producer. What a brilliant way to just just point right at it. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. That's a very that's a very recent addition to our website, and I would love to take the credit for it, but it was not my idea. But it, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic intro into the website for sure. Yeah, very, very, very cool. Well, and it gets to this persona piece, especially when you're selling to different ones. Like, that's why it's so important to start with those sort of things, because if you're selling to totally different people, like, they do not want to be sold the same way. Yeah, that's exactly right. And 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 prior to having that navigation on our website, we relied on either products or solutions labeling to guide people to where they want to go. But the problem with that is we're often using our own internal terminology for those labels. Yep. So people wouldn't necessarily know. They wouldn't identify with the way the Bright Cove describes itself. They'd identify with the way they describe what they need. So it was very, very hard to get people to the right pages when we when we were just having product and solution pages, which was why the entry became the way it did. It's great. I love it. Very fun. Thank you. And so relevant for for the persona conversation. And what does your marketing structure or what does your marketing team look like? What does that structure look like to go after those accounts? Yeah, sure. So I guess to understand the team, you need to understand the marketing strategy first. So may, maybe if I just quickly touch on that. So the sort of starting point for our entire marketing strategy, if you like, is that we as a company are deeply, deeply target account focused. So the entire go-to-market is target account focused. Now, I say the entire go-to-market is target account focused and not necessarily using the term ABM because I think that the label ABM is problematic because it implies that it's a marketing strategy or a marketing fad. And we're definitely not doing that. Our entire organization is orientated around a very, very discrete set of target accounts. Um, the second pillar of the strategy, if you like, is that B2B marketing is becoming more B2C-like. And we have a deep, deep belief in the fact that what B2C companies do extremely well is they treat the buyers as individuals and they personalize particularly well and they personalize at scale. And what B2B marketing organizations have typically done in the past is treat people as if they are a sort of, if you like, a just a, a contact associated with an account and it's the account that we're marketing to. And I think that's a mistake. I think you need to market to the person mm -hmm. as if they're an individual. So target account, more B2C-like. And if you like, the third pillar of the strategy is around content and how video content is the most effective content that we can have. It's quicker and easier to, to, to absorb the information and people retain the information better. So you've got those three core pillars there. And our marketing organization is orientated to deliver exactly that. So the company itself tiers its, tiers its target market into strategic, tier one and tier two accounts and other. And the sales team does exactly the same thing. We've got strategic account managers and then we've got new logo teams who target tier one and two. And then we've got account managers and CSMs who, who have tier one and two customers. So the, 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 the go-to-market is tiered, the sales team is tiered. And then marketing, the, the marketing organization is structured in exactly the same way. We have four regional marketing teams who go after the new logos, both at the strategic and the one and the two level. And then we have customer marketers who are very, very focused on working with these CSMs and the account managers to basically mirror exactly that same same structure uh, so 
the marketing organizational structure, if you like, is driven not just by aligning to the sales structure, but that in itself is driven by what the company is doing. And the company is being highly, highly targeted and tiered into strategic one and two. Amazing. That That's fantastic. And I'm glad you went into the strategy piece there because it does it does inform all of this. And so specifically within your demand strategy, how do you think about that mm. sort of as like a nested thing within it? Yeah, sure. So it, it, it really boils down to point two and point three of our of the company-wide strategy that I was saying earlier. So B2B marketing needs to get more B2C-like and video content is king. So our demand gen strategy is heavily influenced, and maybe it's because we sell to media companies, but our demand gen strategy is heavily, heavily influenced by the fact that media companies actually do two and three extremely well. They treat you as an individual, they personalize, and they make extremely effective use of video. So what our demand gen strategy is effectively trying to do is help us think and act like a media company. And that's indeed what we would say in our marketing pitch to marketers as well, is that enterprises need to start thinking and acting like a media company. And what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means investing in really, really compelling thought leadership video that is really clearly organized into topics or themes or ideally channels. So a solid content marketing strategy that is most definitely video first. Our content isn't entirely video first, by the way. Obviously, there's a need for text uh, and print and PDFs and what have you, but we're probably 60-40 on the video side of the house. So a really compelling video first thought leadership content strategy organized by channels. The next part of the demand gen strategy is to actually own the distribution of that content, which for us means owning our own channel. Don't dump that content on YouTube. Create your own channel and become a genuine destination for thought leadership. Have people come to you, not necessarily because that in itself is valuable. But if they come to you, they are your audience. You own the audience and you own the first party data. And that is absolutely critical. And it's another thing that media companies do extremely well as well. So all of this basically adds up to creating a Netflix style experience. In our case, we call that Play TV. And that Netflix style experience is for enterprise marketers to distribute thought leadership and own the audience and own the uh, own the first party data. But like with a media company, it has subscribers. For, in our case, they're free, but that's not the point. It has subscribers. It has interactivity with things like likes and dislike buttons. And perhaps most importantly of all, it has really, really robust video engagement analytics so that we can actually understand what thought leadership and what message people are care, care, care about and what they're drawn to. And that does two extremely important things. It, tell us, it tells us how to shape our content marketing strategy in the future because we know what people care about. But it also gives our marketing automation platform platforms, which are now more personalized than they were in the past because we're being more B2C-like as opposed to B2B-like, it gives our marketing automation platforms exactly what they need to deliver really, really personalized follow-up to our prospects. So this is all to say that there are basically things that media companies do extremely well. We've learned that because we work with them day in, day out. And we've learned that actually, if you combine that with high, with personalization at scale and treating them as treating people as individuals, you suddenly find yourself as an enterprise marketer having a demand gen strategy that looks and feels like a media company. How do we get people to play TV? It's the usual stuff. We've got display advertising, we've got paid social, we've got search engine marketing, we've got email marketing, we've got content syndication, you know, the usual stuff. 
But that's, that's, if you like, the tactics, the mechanics of it all. The fundamental idea is we want to be a thought leadership hub and we want to own that hub and we want to own that audience. I mean, preaching to the choir as somebody who makes video podcasts for a living. So, exactly. so obviously I, I love all that stuff. But I think, it, you know, a million great things that we'll, we'll sort of dig into here. But first and foremost, just like the power of video that it converts better. I think that this mm. is something that like historically video was very expensive. So mm. it was so hard to get it right because you just didn't have as many swings at the bat. Now that has shifted a bunch. And so video is much cheaper to create than ever before. Mm -hmm. But I would say now like you could actually have a video first strategy like you do, like we do at Caspian you know, like Qualify does, all the innovative companies. <laughs> but having a video for strategy is actually a very real thing for your content, whereas like it might not have been, might not have been that yeah. way five years ago. Yeah, ab ab absolutely. And, and I think what's changed is twofold. First of all, the, the skill set required to operate. Okay, rewind a second, actually. So if I was to go back you know, sort of maybe five-ish years, video in-demand generation meant paying an agency $15,000 to come up with a sizzle video. And, That's right. you know, that would, be an that would be an agonizing process where you'd sort of draft and redraft the script. They would then go away and do the visuals and then you'd glue it all together and then you'd have maybe a, I don't know, a 45-second sizzle video that you would put on your website. Now, that is not what I'm talking about here yep. at all. But I would say... You know, I, I would say relatively recently, we've started to realize, and when I say we, I mean collectively marketers have started to realize that actually, you know what, it's not that difficult to have a space inside my office that I can set up as a makeshift studio. And in fact, it's not even that makeshift. It starts to look and feel like a pretty decent studio for not much money nowadays because the cost of the uh, equipment has fallen. And then there's a whole bunch of... Um, I'm going to show my age here, but there's a whole bunch of Gen Zers who are coming through and, and they understand the skill sets are incredible. It isn't as difficult or as expensive to hire people that understand the technology and can do a really good job of video production as it was, as it was, let's say, 10 to 15 years ago. And actually, I think it's much, much more accessible to have a space that you can have inside your office to shoot the videos. So all of a sudden, you know, everything from, you know, internal comms, town halls through to your earnings calls with, with investors you know, through to, you know, recording thought leadership videos of you interviewing customers, they're in your own space now, are done for, you know, relatively quickly and relatively efficiently and relatively cheaply as well, much more accessible than it was in the past. You know, and I think, I think that people get a little overboard, or perhaps they just sort of like, boil the ocean a little bit when they talk about, you know, breaking a video or a podcast or whatever into like 150 different assets and all that stuff. Mm. If you can do it and you know how to do it, that's great. And all that stuff. That's great. But the idea that, you know, you could take a, a 50 minute video and turn it into 150 different assets, like, trust me, like run a company that does, you know, things like that. I get it. But I think that first and foremost, just the idea that you're trying to make something for an audience that is good, that is mm. video first, that has personality, that's pulling insights out of them that are unique, that are potentially unique in that moment, that are unique to a period of time. Like all of those things are very bespoke things that is hard to replicate. Whereas like writing a blog post, as we've seen with ChatGPT and all this other stuff, that writing a blog post and getting a bunch of answers is much more easy to replicate. And so like, how do you scale 
these type of experiences where you're co-creating with your customers, with your prospects, with influencers, because that stuff is better. Like one plus one does equal three, right? Having mm -hmm. like locking your writer in the room and say like, write a listicle about the, you know, 10 best demand gen activities. Like it's just not going to be as good as when you get a few brains together, looking at the problem from different angles and sort of co-creating it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, we've we've done a lot of, you know, we've experimented with a lot of different video formats. And the conclusion is most definitely that short form and medium form, and when I say short, I mean sort of, you know, up to three minutes and medium form, let's call that up to 15 minutes TED Talk style videos. I mean, they are by far the most preferred format of our audience. And, and, and so you end up thinking, well, hold on a second. So we know that 15 minute works. Um, and then we've got all of this effort going, this is just one example, we've got all of this effort, for example, going into webinars, you know, there was, especially yeah. during COVID, there was a relent, there was a relentless pressure to do, you know, a webinar a month, possibly even more. And then they're live. And, and, and the live element is good because you do get the sort of audience participation at the end of it. You do get the interactivity at the end of it, if that's how you've structured your webinar, of course. But there's a lot of effort and a lot of time to, 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 to produce the webinars and people are on the hook for a live performance, of course. You could, and indeed we have, make the choice to turn that webinar format into something that feels a little bit more like a 15-minute video blog, a video, uh, a 15-minute video, TED Talk style. Host that on your own Netflix-style experience, group it by themes, group it by channels, and all of a sudden you've turned a webinar strategy into something that looks and feels like a media company. And it's just, it, in, our, in our experience, it is simply more effective than the webinars. It's a lot more scalable because you can, you know, you can produce more of them and they live on, if you like, in a library sure you can put a webinar on demand but no one's going to engage with a webinar on demand they just don't do it so you put the you, know, you put all of these short you know short and medium form videos in in on a channel if for want of a better word and they and, and you get a lot more life out of them and a lot more a lot more value out of them so yeah i mean that's just uh, i mean that's just one example yeah, going back to your original point about video seems scary it isn't as onerous as, as, as it thinks any other thoughts on on any other stuff that people do for, for sort of this video content strategy that you see that y'all are doing well or maybe some other mistakes that maybe you did make? I think some of the things that are often overlooked but are terrifically valuable is the uh, video engagement analytics. So it, it it's helped a lot if you own your own channel and you're harvesting your own first party data with a decent set of video analytics. But I often think about the old days where we would sort of, you know, send out an email, encourage someone to go to a landing page and fill out a form and then download a PDF. And we wouldn't necessarily know if they had, I mean, we'd know that they downloaded the PDF, but we wouldn't know whether they'd sort of looked at the contents page and then thrown it in the bin or whether they read the whole thing cover to cover and forwarded it to like 20 colleagues. Like we wouldn't know. And I get that there are technologies nowadays that help with that problem, but just, just taking that as the sort of typical sort of a state of affairs, one of the things that video engagement analytics does extremely well is, it, is, is, is if you've got, if the person is known to you for a start, but if the person is known to you because they're a subscriber of your channel, you know exactly what they're watching and you know exactly how far into the video they're watching, it, the, the, how far into the video they've watched. So it could be 10%, it could be 75%, it could be 98%. If you can then feed that into your MarTech stack, you can do some amazing things. So the first thing you would do is you would feed it into your intent models, whatever vendor you have for buying intent, you know, the, the sort of ABM platform vendors. You would absolutely have video engagement feed the AI and machine learning driven intent models that you're probably procuring from an organization like Sixth Sense or Demand Base. 
especially if you've got a video first content marketing strategy. Because if you've got 60% videos on your website and that's not feeding your intent models, then there's a massive problem there, right? So the very first thing you would do is feed it into feed it into your AI and machine learning models. But the next thing you would do is feed it into your marketing automation platforms. If you know that someone is watching videos that are heavily orientated towards user level how-tos, then serve them up more of that with your with, with your personalized outreach. You know, if you know that they're sort of um, if you know that they're consuming content around monetization models for videos, you know, AVOD versus SVOD versus TVOD, for example, you know what to serve them up. So you can be very, very targeted in your in, in, in your demand gen efforts because you're harvesting really rich data on what people are viewing. And I think that's the kind of that's the kind of the next step after creating your own channel and, and then sort of you know stocking it with really really good thought leadership content and then building up a brand as a thought leader like apart from that you then go and use it actively in pipeline generation it takes a bit of time to get there you know there's a lot to consider there like most of the abm platforms don't understand the concept of video views yet they don't have a data structure for video engagement yep. they have a data structure for email opens and for clicks and for and for time on page they don't have a data structure for video views so yep. there's a bit of work to get that up and running but it's tremendously powerful. Yeah, it's a great point. And you know, it's like these are the sort of things that'll get solved over time, but for right now there's there's no there's no easy answer for it. I mean, we deal with that all the time with podcasts, right? It's like there's just right now, right this second, it's very difficult to do that stuff, but there's a few cool technologies out there that are allowing you to 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 get creative to see who's listening a little bit a little bit more, which is really exciting. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. Obviously, you've talked a ton about some of the tactics, but those three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items, where are you spending some of that money? Yeah, sure, exactly. So the very first thing has to be customer marketing. We've spent a lot of time and effort recently on customer marketing, and we break that basically down into three, if you like, three sort of pillars. The first would be campaigns. We're trying to do a much, much better job you know, of marketing to customers as customers and not marketing to customers as if they're prospects. And that takes time and effort, but we're putting a lot of effort into that. And that's a, that's most definitely an uncuttable uh, uncuttable line item. Along with campaigns in the customer marketing bucket is, is advocacy. So we're also spending a lot of time getting our, uh, building deeper relationships with our customers, not only at the sort of buyer and exec level, but the, the sort of senior stakeholder level, but also at the, at the grassroots practitioner level. You know, we want a much broader array of customer advocates that'll write a review for us on G2 Crowd or Gartner Peer Insights or stand up on stage and, and advocate for us. You know, so there's, there's a lot of work happening in customer advocacy and there's also a lot of work happening in the third pillar of customer customer marketing, which is community. Put a lot of effort recently into building our community, not just as a sort of, if you like, a community portal where people can go and ask questions and get answers, but it's also a place where we would have, you know, private groups for some of our more verticalized customers like sports teams and leagues or performing arts centers. It's the place where customers would make suggestions on our roadmap and people would vote on them, that sort of thing. So the first thing that's uncuttable is, is customer marketing for sure, for sure. The next thing that's uncuttable is in-person 
intimate experiential events. So Brightcove is extremely lucky in our customer base. On the media side, we have fantastic customers from sports, performing arts, theater, museums. Think of sort of really, really big events that you might you might encounter on the global stage around tennis or golf or motor racing or horse racing, orchestras, opera houses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they are fantastic, fantastic vehicles or fantastic organizations to partner with to actually host experiential events where we might bring anywhere between 20 and 100 customers and prospects together, as opposed to just, uh, you know, having a, you know, renting a restaurant or, or, or going to a ball game. So small in-person experiential events with our customers and combining customers and prospects is a must. So that's number two. And the third one is a bit of a surprise to us. I mean, it's not, you know, we, um, we used to do a lot of content syndication and we spent a long time trying to find an organization that would allow us to do video content syndication. And the content syndicators for a long time didn't really know what we were talking about. They didn't really have the they, they didn't really have the platforms for it, and they didn't really understand it. We eventually did find a content syndicator that understood video content syndication, and we used that to basically have, I would say, three minute snippets of a medium form video, which is going to be around fifteen minutes. So we would content syndicate the shorter version, and it itself would click through to the longer version on Play TV, our channel I was talking about earlier. And we ran this, I would say, in the back half of last year, maybe for Q4, and it was tremendously successful. We, we, we had a fantastic hit rate. People weren't just consuming the content because a content syndicator had sent it to them. They were actually clicking through to Play TV, and they were spending time on Play TV as well. They were browsing our thought leadership repository and actually spending time viewing the videos that we had there, the, the, the sort of medium form ones. Not only that, they're an extremely uh, senior bunch. I think we have more C-levels in Q4 through video content syndication than we had in the previous three quarters combined. I mean, people responded really, really well to it. So that was a bit of a surprise because I wouldn't have put content syndication in my uncuttable bucket had that not happened. But it is, it did happen and it's most definitely in there. That is cool. Yeah, it's not something that we've 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 seen a ton be popular. It's definitely more on the mm. most cuttable budget item piece. So that that's pretty fascinating. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because people aren't syndicating video, you see, they haven't got the thought leadership channel in the same way. I mean, you mentioned qualified earlier with qualified plus, I assume you're talking about. So, you know, if you have that, then video content syndication is great. If you do not have that, then what you're essentially syndicating is a good old fashioned PDF, which is less, you know, less interesting that that generally does get cut. You're right. What about things that you're moving away from or most cuttable? Yeah, the most cuttable is most definitely, I sort of I sort of alluded to it earlier, but the good old fashioned, you know, emailing a cold list that you've bought from a data provider and you send them an email inviting them to a form. And if they fill up the form, they can download a PDF. Like, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, that smacks of a marketing a decade ago and there's no, there's no place for that at all. Uh, I'm not saying there's no place for email, by the way. Email is terrifically important, especially if it's personalized. Um, but the idea of sort of text-based content living behind a gate, I think, is dead. It's just not how people buy. You know, we firmly believe that, you know, people are choosing to remain anonymous much, much deeper into the sales cycle, and they're responding best to video. So we have to accommodate that. We have to basically ungate. We have to provide video content for a start. We have to get our thought leadership out there using video as the medium, and then we have to ungate that as much as possible. And then, and then basically just sort of, you know, drive people to it and, and, and watch the engagement. Now, you then, of course, have to trust that they will raise their hand and engage with you at some point. They can't remain anonymous forever. And, and, and the idea that 
where this strategy can fall fall down is that you might then lull yourself into a place where you sort of well, build it and they will come and you're forever sitting waiting for this anonymous traffic to convert. Now, that's a mistake. Don't do that. Definitely don't do that. Um, but I do believe that you have to give the content away, allow the anonymous users to you know, become knowledgeable about what you're trying to say, and then they will come to you eventually. And if they don't come to you eventually, well, hey, what? Heck, guess what? There's tons of MarTech that will allow you to gauge anonymous interest and understand where the anonymous, which accounts the anonymous interest is coming from, and that then primes your outbound engine. So I'm not suggesting that, you know, we, we sort of, you know, build it and they will come and just sort of sit back and wait for people to raise their hand. I mean, you do then have to understand which accounts are showing engagement, albeit anonymously, and then use that to prime your BDR and selling machine to actively go after them as well. But yeah, for, for, for me, what's fading is a good old-fashioned gate with an email that sends people to download a piece of content. Yeah, 100%. And you could just use that money on paid ads. And like, it's cheaper. Like, that's the thing. We What we have seen, you know, we run paid ads for thousands of episodes. It's way cheaper to run paid ads to content than it is to run it to you know, a, a value, you know, a buy now sort of situation anyways. And it's way cheaper to drive to a series rather than to an individual asset because the series like Absolutely. compounds over time. So you can continually send people at, at a series with new episodes. You can, you can retarget them and they're like, oh, there's a new episode of Pipeline Visionaries. Exactly right. That's great. Whereas if you're promoting the same exact ebook over and over again, it's a one-off asset. Yeah, that's exactly right. Any other campaigns that are potentially interesting that, that you've that you've ran over the past year or so? We experimented a lot with HTML5 in display ads, not just to have the ad be dynamic and move a little bit, but also to have it be personalized to the audience. That was uh, that was uh, pretty effective. Other campaigns that would be wildly effective, they're not necessarily on the digital side of things, actually. I'm going to go back to the sort of experiential, small, in-person events. So, you know, the... There's a couple of must-have big trade shows that we do, but then, you know, there's a lot of value in having, you know, 50 people in a room at a museum or at an opera house or, or, or what, you know, at, at a motorsport event or whatever it might be. And I would say some of the best traction we've got with our prospects and customers is, is, is getting them to those events. Now, the digital, because it's very, very targeted, but it's not necessarily leading to lead gen necessarily because we're ungating anything. It's almost as if the digital builds up enough momentum and awareness for Bright Cove that when we do tap them up and say, do you want to come to this great theatrical event in New York? People are more likely to say yes. And the link between those two things is very, very fuzzy indeed. And it's very, very difficult to yep. prove. But I am a firm believer in the air cover. If, if we ungate everything, and we truly believe that's the right thing to do. What your digital effectively becomes is air cover. And it doesn't just make engagement with our videos on Play TV better and for people more likely to subscribe. And for when we do outbound to them, they're more likely to pick up the phone. But it also makes getting people to these small experiential events easier as well. And I would say that's the that's probably the best thing that's happened. That's probably the most interesting uh, sort of development in our campaigns over the course of the last year, the fact that those two things are coming together. Because let's face it, off the back of COVID, everybody was racing back into the big wide world. And I sort of feel like exec dinners and, and sort of you know getting together for drinks was the main drive behind everything, but it wasn't necessarily a, a cool, really edgy experience that they wouldn't otherwise get. And I think that's the difference. Yeah. And I think that there's there's a real desire for human connection and there's a real desire yeah. to 
be at home and be lazy. Like those two things, like the two wolves that sit within us that fight constantly. And if you can get the connections as a digital sort of, hey, we're going to send a wine and chocolate tasting to your house and it's going to be you and six other CMOs and you just got to show up in your pajamas. So there's just so many different sort of like ways to do it. And I think to create a portfolio of those type of experiences is really important Mm. because people engage in different ways. And then I think that that's where people get so draconian in the way that they think about their marketing is like, oh, well, we know that, you know, wine and chocolate things work really, really well digitally. It's like, yeah, but if you're allergic to wine and don't want to, don't want to eat chocolate at your house, because, you know, that's when your kids go to bed or something like that, like you're never going to consume that type of you know, events. So I think that it is so much about running those type of experiments to say, Hey, we're going to do this thing. Is anyone interested in this? If we were to put this together, would you, would y'all want to go? Those are the sort of things that I think you can do more experiences with. And then I would add one other thing about the gated content, which is gate, cool stuff, gate tools, gate, a freemium like version of your product gate, like going to a physical event, like gate stuff that actually costs money don't gate mm-hmm. stuff that's free like don't gate content 100 right yeah I, I i always think if i always think if we want more eyeballs on a message that we are trying to push don't gate it exactly how do you view the website yeah so well notwithstanding your point from earlier about the entry being very very cool indeed for me i think the website needs to have at the very 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 top a clear statement on what we are and what we do i really can't stand companies that use verbiage on their website like industry leading solutions to optimize customers journeys or whatever like those words are utterly meaningless and um, i think a very very clear statement at the absolute top of the website on what you are and what you do is super important um, personally, I like the movement and the video. I would say that because we're a video company, so lots of movement, lots of color, lots of uh, you know, not you know, not not overly static. And the next thing for me about our website is, or any website for that matter, is if you do buy into the philosophy of ungating, you need lots of lots of ways in which you can capture leads. They need, the, the, the actual lead capture points where people do voluntarily raise their hand need to be super accessible and they need to be really, really easy to complete. Now, for us, that is a chatbot. We've gone down the chatbot route, as have millions of others, where, you know, book a meeting is good, but live chat is even better. Yeah. So for us, very, very clear statement, lots of movement, lots of video, lots of lead capture points, chatbot being the preferred form, not preferred, excuse the pun, but the preferred form, not a form. And I guess the final thing I'd say is the personalization point. I mentioned at the very, very top, like the idea that B2B marketers need to treat B2B buyers as individuals, not as a contact within an account and you're marketing to the account like that's wrong. And so I would like to deploy as much personalization as possible on the website. Don't make it your generic video that, you know, talks about, you know, whatever it talks about, you know, same thing if you've got a performing arts organization on your website or a retailer or a manufacturer. So I think at the very least, industry level personalization where you're where you're where you're adjusting the content and the messaging that's on the page based on someone's industry if you can get down to the account level and you want to you know you want to welcome ian directly or even welcome you know a company directly i think that's great too let's get to the dust up Uh here comes trouble you may have heard 
that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. When we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your sales teams, your competitors, or anyone else, have you had a memorable dust-up in your career? Yeah, so... Uh... I'm not really a kind of dust up kind of guy, like big standing, everyone gets out of their chair, you know, they're one step away from throwing punches. That's not really kind of who I am, but I have had quite a few examples where, you know, a series of unfortunate events lead to a real breakdown in the relationship or a breakdown in communications. And uh, I've got to be honest, it typically happens with sales because I'm in marketing and that's typically where the tension, where the tension exists. And uh, I've got two examples for you. Um, The first is around the fact that when our marketing is as targeted as it is, no one at Brightcove sees it. So search engine marketing is about the only marketing we do that is not targeted to specific accounts. And we de- we're a medium-sized software company, so we're definitely not advertising in airports or doing any out-of-home advertising, right? So, you know, it's all very, very targeted and our own people don't see it. And that leads to this impression that we're not doing any marketing because, you know, some people don't understand the targeted nature of, of, of digital nowadays. And so I'd say one of the first sort of breakdowns in communications would be around the fact that, no, no, we are actually doing marketing and you have to really sit down and explain to people where the marketing is happening and how it's manifesting itself. And the fact that you're not seeing it is is not a problem. In fact, it's a good thing because if you were seeing it, we'd be wasting money. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. The second, if you like, breakdown in comms or, or, or series of unfortunate events is it's around ABM. And it's why I I said at the top of the call, I don't like the term ABM. And I don't think it does justice to what is actually happening. Because, you know, you're not, if if you deploy ABM, you're not deploying a marketing strategy, you're deploying a company wide go to market strategy, where all of the sellers and all of the BDRs and the entirety of marketing need to be focused on a specific set of accounts. And you know what, that might change quarter by quarter. So it's not a one and done either. And that level of collaboration and coordination is terrifically hard to get going and, 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 to, and, and to make successful. And I would say one of the biggest, if you like, series of unfortunate event, events that didn't quite lead to a dust up, but nevertheless, is around how I, as a marketer, have a two, three, four, six quarter time horizon. Whereas the sellers might have a one or a two quarter time horizon. Totally. So when I think I'm implementing change management, to make sure we're all on the same page about how we're all going to do, do things differently in the future and target this specific set of accounts. I'm thinking about that as a two, three, four, six quarter project, but the change doesn't take effect. It doesn't bed down because the sellers are think the sellers have to live quarter by quarter. They have to be in the quarter. So I would say, you know, getting the change management that's required to really truly deliver ABM has led to a breakdown in communications and tensions for sure. Are people, st- are people getting out of their chair and throwing punches? No, thankfully. But, you know, it, 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 it's a complicated problem to navigate for sure. But Theo, our, our, you know, time to close is only, you know, whatever, 71 days. So, so shouldn't we be doing campaigns that get us deals like right now and we can close them in quarter? It's like, no, because that person, you know, has been watching our show for the past two years, right? Yeah. So they just weren't ready to buy. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. It always reminds me of the, the the ten year overnight success, right? It's like I've been doing this for years, and then all of a sudden, now it's a now it's a hit. Speaking of hits, let's get to quick hits. 
These are quick questions mm-hmm. and quick answers. Just like how quickly qualified helps companies generate pipeline, tap into your greatest asset, your website to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly, and I mean instantly, start sales conversation quick and easy. Just like these questions, go to qualified.com to learn more. Theo, quick hits. Are you ready? Yep, ready. What's a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? A hidden skill that that is not on my resume. I am going to go for the fact that I can light a fire with a flint. That's good. How about that? Do you have a favorite book, podcast, or TV show? Yeah, it's undoubtedly, apart from this one, of course, (laughs) apart from this one being my favorite of all time, Smartless. has to be Smartless. Do you have a favorite non-marketing hobby that helps you be a better marketer? Yes, I do, actually. A favorite hobby, it's not really necessarily a hobby, but it's something I do outside work. I'm a scout leader, which means I have to deal with children a lot. And that makes me extremely good at dealing with salespeople. It's a, it's a great point. I'm, a, I'm an Eagle Scout, and my, uh, my brother is just about to be the Scout Master of, of my little nephew's troop. So he's already hit me up. I'm going to be teaching Fish and Merit Badge here at some point. So Great, great. Theo, final question here. What would be your best advice for someone who is running Demand Gen for the first time? Yeah, my best advice for someone that's uh, running Demand Gen for the first time would be to truly embrace the whole video first content marketing strategy and the channel that underpins it. I mean, I have to say that, of course, because I work for Brightcove, but I'm not saying it because I work for Brightcove. I'm saying it because I am customer zero at Brightcove and I'm living it. Video is simply the most effective content medium we have. And I know I've already said it once on on this podcast, but I'll say it again. It's quicker and easier to consume and people retain the information more readily. And that is the gold standard for demand gen. I could not agree more. Theo, it's been absolutely awesome having you on their show. For our listeners, go to brightcove.com. Check out that nav bar. You can just select I am. You go CMO. You just sell right there. Check it out. Check out Play TV. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? The only thing I say is to it to the enterprises out there, think and act like a media company. It's the way forward. I love it. Thanks, Theo. Thank you very much, Ian. Have a good day. Thanks again to our friends at qualified.com conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.